Did you introduce Steve? He's not here. Steve's not here. Oh, I, why did I think Steve was here? Someone mentioned Steve. Can we all pretend to be Steve? Yeah. Hi, I'm Steve. Oh, oh movie club. Movie club. Steve, oh, Steve. Steve's Poop. not here, man. Fart joke. Poop. Ding dongs. Okay. <laughs> the incomparable number three hundred seventy-eight, November twenty seventeen. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and we're here for another edition of something we like to call Old Movie Club. Old Movie Club. That's right, where a bunch of old men watch old movies. I'm not old. Old. <laughs> old at heart. Wow. Old uh, as well. Young, 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 young of body and mind. Uh, that's what I meant to say. Millennials watch old <laughs> movies. We're all millennials here. Millennials ruin old movies. That's we're on. a thousand years old. You know, since the, since the gypsy cursed me, age is really quite relative to me. Um, now, we watched two movies for this edition of Old Movie Club. Uh, we watched 1949's The Third Man, one of the few movies to feature prominently zither music in the credits. For good reason. <laughs> what What are the other ones? And, and well, Prominently is an understatement, I feel like. <laughs> zither American style was a very popular <laughs> That's right. wet, 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 hot zither summer. Um, oh, hey. The, and Zitherpocalypse Now, Francis Ford Coppola's great picture. Yeah. The Zither Strikes Back, popular. pretty good. Pretty good. Zithering Heights was very good. Oh, oh man, oh, was it? Very nice. Uh, and also 1965's The Spy, who came in from the cold, based on a John Lockeray novel. Uh, these were movies chosen by our uh, master of ceremonies for these old movie club episodes, Philip Michaels. Hello. Hello there. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I, I watched these two movies, and I'm just going to say, uh, I uh, spoiler alert, I enjoyed watching them. So thank you for that. Why, what made you uh, choose these two films for us to watch, Phil? Well, I, I think there's a, a thread that runs through them, and that thread is Bernard Lee appears yes. in full. So, <laughs> so I, I, I think we should call this episode Dial M for movies uh, starring Bernard movies starring Lee. Bernard Lee, yes, there you go. You got the you got it back around to him. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Also, you know, post-war divided city. Yes. Intrigue. Well, European intrigue was sort of the common theme uh, running through these uh, through these things. And yes, there's 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 walls and sectors and zones and soldiers, and it's it's good fun, and it just makes you. Um, Rue Humanity's Downfall, which I think is very much on our minds these days. Sure. Uh, joining us, the uh, the panel of uh, of young whippersnappers who are who have been forced to watch old movies by mean old Mr. Michaels are the Internet's Dr. Drang. Hello. Hello, old man. Uh, Monty Ashley, who may be also belonging to the Internet. I'm not sure. Hi, Monty. Hello. Uh, David J. Lore is here, of course, because Zither. Zither, of course. And Frank Wu, who was on our Twilight yeah. Zone episode, he's back for more black and white. Yeah. I love black and white. Black and white's the best. <laughs> All right, Phil, where should we where should we begin? Should we begin chronologically with the third man? Yes, Jason. Let's start with uh the third man. Good. Um a movie that I didn't finish watching okay. up until uh we started recording. So man, I hope <laughs> Harry Lyme makes it. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> there are spoilers in this podcast, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, spoilers oh, yeah. plenty. In fact, let me tell you how I came across the the third man back in the back in the 1980s when I when I was growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yes, I am confirming I am an old man. Um, KNBR, uh, the sports radio station. On Sunday nights, for God knows what reason, would old show, radio, would, yeah, old radio shows. You would have your dragnets mm-hmm. and your crime busters mm-hmm. and uh, and your have guns will travel. But the the show that they aired that I really loved was the Lives of Harry Lyme, and uh, that begins every episode began with Orson Welles as Harry Lyme saying, "Hey, that was the shot that killed me in the Third Man." But I had other stories and adventures as well. So I, I was always intrigued as a young whippersnapper by this movie, The Third Man. And then I, I finally saw it, and I was all, hey, this Harry Lyme isn't as nice as he was on the radio <laughs> program. What gives? So anyhow, that's um, uh, where we are. We, the, the, the setting is post-war Vienna. And um, Harry, uh, not Harry Lyme, Holly Martins, Harry Lyme's bestest and dearest friend, is arriving in Vienna uh, without a dollar to his name and happy as a lark, as the Graham Greene narration tells us, if you see the original version and not the the horrible U.S. version where um, Joseph Cotton does the the, the voiceover. Um, He's uh, arriving because Harry Lyme has promised him a job. He shows up at Harry Lyme's place. Uh Uh-oh, Harry Lyme has been murdered, like minutes, minutes before him getting there. Or I think I think initially he's told it was just a horrible car accident. Oh, you're right. There's been a horrible car accident. Your friend Harry Lyme is dead. If you hurry, you can make the funeral. So he he goes off to the funeral where there is a, a rogues gallery of uh, of mourners. Yeah, lots um, of lots of men in hats giving everybody men in the hats eye. With saggy faces. <laughs> yeah, this is the saggiest face cast you will ever find. <laughs> People in spy movies have such interesting faces. So many jowls and pointy pointy chins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's also a beautiful lady um, who we'll meet later on in the movie, and there's some sour-looking English persons who uh, offer to give uh, Holly Martins, played by, as I mentioned, Joseph Cotton, a ride back into town, um, at which point they, they reveal that, yes, we're military police, and we've been investigating your good friend Harry Lyme because he's a horrible racketeer, <laughs> and uh, that makes Holly Martins very, very angry, and he vows to, to get to the bottom of this and clear the the name of his dear departed deceased friend um at this point in his investigations we get to the part where i jumped ahead earlier and uh holly begins to suspect that uh harry was murdered uh the the porter at harry's uh at harry's house uh gives uh testimony that conflicts with the official account um and holly starts meeting all of those rogue gallery of mourners i mentioned earlier he meets the uh the the, the is it the count the baron baron, the baron, baron, baron yes um, who's just this sad, who's basically imagine if the count um <laughs> took on human right. form and, nice collar, uh, though. Hmm. And he was yes. left in the oven and melted a little bit. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they all seem to have melty faces like they're from the House of Wax or something. Instead of counting, he was really into playing the violin and um, racketeering. Mm-hmm. So, so he's all, yes, I will be your friend and I will help you. And I, I can't help with the investigation officially, but just tell me what you find, which is not suspicious in the least. Uh, um, he is then directed to... Um, Anna, who is the beautiful lady who was Harry Lyme's girlfriend and is uh, an actress, and uh, 
um, has one of the most wonderfully sad faces of any actress ever uh, captured on film. Uh, mm. Viali is her name? Valley. Alita Valley. Yes. I am terrible with names, as we'll 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 find when we get to the John Lacar movie. The uh this is this is a nice moment where uh Holly Martins gets to I, I got to appreciate he, he so is interested in meeting this uh this woman that he sits through an entire like vaudeville show uh in German, in German. which he does not understand. And the audience is laughing uproariously mm-hmm. and he's sitting there very confused. Hmm. Yep. Which is his default expression through most of the movie. But he does um, end up getting well, to talk to her. And then he lies about it. She asks, well, how was it? And he's like, oh, it was uh, it awesome. It was great. Yeah. yeah. You were great. <laughs> I loved it. You were awesome. laughing. You're the yeah. best one. So at this at this point, my old man memory is failing as to what the next plot point is. Um, I, I think the key I think the key point that happens is that um, he in discuss, in discussing things with all these people. So look, he's got the uh, the British guy, Major Calloway. Not Callahan. He's British, not, not Irish. Not Irish. Uh, says, you know, Harry's no good. Uh, you should get on the next plane. But he he finagles a way to stay a little bit longer because he's going to go give a what will no doubt be a rousing speech about being a great literary writer to a local uh, community group that people will definitely not walk out on because he's ill prepared. That yes, happens the later. British cultural attaché who's yes. played by Colonel Pickering from My Fair Lady, uh, Wilfred Hyde White. Dragoons him into being uh, the guest speaker, and he he seizes upon that opportunity to to stay in Vienna a little while longer to get to the bottom of this Harry Lime case. David, are you going to mention that he was in Buck Rogers in the twenty fifth century, or am I? I guess I did. I you just did. <laughs> we should mention that Bernard Lee Coldcox, uh, Joseph Cotton, very early on in this movie. Yes, Bernard Lee is Sergeant Payne, who is the. Uh, the attaché to Major Calloway, not Callahan. And as he picks him up, says, please be careful, sir. He f- hits him in the face right before he says, oh, by the way, I love your novels. Yes, I love yes. I love Sergeant Payne so much because he is this he is the very definition of one of these kind of beefy British army sergeants. But he's and he's super lovable because he loves he's the only one who has read and loves Holly Martin's cowboy he, novels. He, yes, he's <laughs> the only one that thinks Holly Martin isn't just a isn't just a nitwit. Yep. <laughs> A punch in the face. It's just business. I had yeah. to punch you in the yeah. face. I'll do it again job. if you. Yeah, but yeah, it was his job. But the big, the big moment happens. The big turn happens. Oh, he talks to Anna, right? And and we find out that she loved Harry, but she she says she wasn't aware of of his potentially dirty dealings that he might have had. Um, mm-hmm. But then the porter, the key key piece of information that the porter gives, and is the title of the they film. Go back to Harry's place since since Anna can speak German and Holly Holly can barely speak English. So um, they go back to the. They <laughs> He's go back um, to American. The, he's, a, he's a cowboy writer. I mean, yeah. they go back to the, the to interview the porter. At which point, um, the porter reveals that, um, contrary to the uh, the official record, which had uh, Harry Lyme get hit by a truck and was attended to by the Baron, by his uh, his personal physician who who arrived there late, and his friend Mister Popescu, the, the Romanian, Ro- the, the Romanian. There was a third man there. Hmm. Da, da, da. There's also an inconsistency about whether Harry uh, had one of those kind of movie deaths where he lists all the people who need to be taken care of before right. now that he's dead, or whether he his head was at a, such an impossible angle that it could he he was dead when they were dragging him off the street. He was already dead. That is too 
that too is inconsistent between right. the uh, different dun, dun, stories dun. being told. Yeah. The porter says completely, totally, certainly dead. The Baron and others say, well, he he was thinking of you at the very end. <laughs> Not quite dead yet. Yeah, the Baron lays it on way too thick. Can I just say that it took me like five viewings of this movie before I could follow the plot at all? It it does take a it does take repeated viewings I find yeah. and, and and partly that's because um uh they they make no no truck with having the German speak people speak yeah, any speak German. form of English. <laughs> well, I think part of it is that there's so many characters like like one of the cool things about these old movies is that there there's a lot of characters and and a lot of them somebody dies in, in the very first scene and then that character is referred to throughout the movie and if you don't remember the name of the dead guy. <laughs> Like, you're lost. <laughs> well, they, they bring you're up Harry lost. Lime a lot. I think yes. it's just that black and white Cold War spy movies have plots, but they're really for fun performances and amazing cinematography. And, and this is meant to be a con game. It's meant to be confounding and confusing. Yeah. So it's okay. It felt like um, like It, the Stephen King uh, movie, because there's so many characters that it's hard to keep track of like who who's what. So as you watch it over and over again, you're like, oh, yeah, that guy is the same as that guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it now. Down here, Georgie, we all play <laughs> Zither. Yeah, I think when Orson Welles goes in the sewer and finds a monstrous uh, spider clown, yeah, well, <laughs> that was quite a twist. <laughs> the thing that always cracks me up is is people think that uh, the whole movie is Orson Welles, right? He's in every scene. He's nope. only in like five minutes of the movie. He's only in three talk scenes about him and he, the speaks, whole time. he speaks in one of them. Well, and. And at the time, I think that was definitely uh, part of the intrigue of it. I was talking to Dr. Drang yes. w- w- uh, earlier this week about this, and we were, we were saying how it's very much like, where's Orson Welles, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, 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 he's third on the list of actors, and you don't see him until, what, two-thirds of the way through the movie? Yeah, yeah more than but an it's hour great. into the I mean, movie. It yeah. is the greatest opening in the history of, of, of appearances. I mean, it's, it, is, it is just spectacular, that shot. Is that but a clue listing him third on the poster? Oh. Oh, he's the third man? Spoiler alert, poster maker. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. Well, Orson, Orson Welles talked about how he had once seen this play, and during the first half, uh, first act of the play, they, they, all the other characters talk about this character. That, I remember this because the character's name is Mr. Wu. And uh, everybody's talking about him during the entire first act. And then he doesn't show up until the very end. Uh, Like for two seconds, he says, hi, I'm Mr. Wu. And during the intermission, everyone was like, wow, the guy who played Mr. Wu is such a great actor. Right. And and Orson Welles is totally riffing on that because he's like, wow, I I can be a great actor by having everybody talk about me, but I don't show up until two thirds of the movie is over. And the name of that play is Where the Hell is Mr. Wu? <laughs> Waiting for Mr. Wu. <laughs> to, to, Frank, to Frank's point, um, one, one of my favorite movies is, is Casablanca because literally you could um, uh, take that movie and base it on any of the minor characters in the, in, in the background and you'd still have a great movie. And I think the third man comes up just behind that in all the, the secondary and background characters um, are just so fascinating between their, their sag. Faces and and strange suspicious looks. the The porter's kid is 
is a um, is a horror movie monster come to life. Um, the, the little boy who uh, uh, interrupts one of Holly's uh, interrogations and and later fingers Holly for oh, yeah. for the parent for his dad's murder. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. If he felt like like one of the little kids in M, like he had escaped from Peter Laurie, the yes. child murderer. That's a great little aside that is that is kind of not necessary to the movie but is so atmospheric <laughs> which is that basically because yeah. uh, what happens is the porter gets killed to, to, because he's contradicting he the official much. story and um, Holly Martins is uh, is there and the little little kid saw Holly in his apartment before and he points at him and, and it is very much a Frankenstein kind of moment where they're like the mob turns on him and they have to run away but it's not really well, like while a, little, like, while a little kid is singing a song at him and indicating <laughs> yeah, it's just very atmospheric. No. It's not super important to the plot. It's just atmospheric. It makes you that much more paranoid about what's going on in Vienna. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about Anna a little bit? Because I, I was sure. thinking, I would love to. I was thinking about like she. She is a very interesting performance. She's an interesting character. I um I. I was thinking throughout the film of what if they moved, made this movie today, what they would, um, what Anna would do, because, um, you know, in modern movies, they treat the women characters, not always, but frequently as people. And in this movie, hmm. she's not, I mean, she's not really a consistent person. I never really understand why she's thinking what she's thinking. For a long time, I, I kind of believe that she is in innocent to what uh, harry's been doing and is now appalled and she's sad and then like in the last 30 minutes she completely changes her tune and i don't i don't think i really understand her or or her character but as she is essentially the only woman in the movie um and and her behavior toward joseph cotton is also a little bit strange too i don't know i i find her intriguing and yet also kind of frustrating as a character i i don't think there's a there's a lot of depth there to her character i which i think is a limitation of the time but i i I do think that she brings a lot to the 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 role just with her expressions and there's 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 sort of this sadness and this world weariness and just this resignation to uh all of her scenes, regardless of how she's she's um, uh, treating Holly or uh, reacting to the the developments around Harry, and I, I I think there's a consistency there. I also think that the inconsistencies you're talking about is, is sort of get into the 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 problem with Holly as the narrator or the 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 hero of the picture, and and basically that he gets everything wrong. But we can we can <laughs> yeah. we, we can talk about that uh, once we've once we've unraveled the the Gordian knot of the story. So. But but when when you talk about the girl, I think the most important thing is not to get ahead of ourselves, like that final shot where you see Holly and the girl is walking towards her and, and she takes like an hour. It's like in real yeah. time that <laughs> she's walking. And, and you think, oh, my God, this is like the final great reunion and they're going to be together. And then she just walks towards the camera and then she gets to him and then she just keeps walking and she just walks past him. Ain't and nothing like, gonna break up her oh, stride. Man. Oh. Well, and you know, you, you've and, got you've got a character who writes cheesy dime novels that fit all the cliches. Cheesy? And, we don't know and, that. <laughs> that sounds like a line from a cheap novelette. I write cheap novelettes. <laughs> He's a right? master of suspense. I was told. It, it's contrasting with the real life things, right? And seeing all these little cliched moments that then don't follow the cliche. But they're cliches from then as opposed that's one of the fun things about watching these old movies because 
it's like what was a cliche then is like completely not a cliche now. It's like you oh, can't. Oh, you, that's exactly you, a cliche, though. But uh, no, the, the no, couple but, winding up together at the end, but you know, right? Just, but I mean, they just don't. The they don't pat- wind up together. exactly. It's like, but but that's why it's so brave in ending to have uh, you know the bad guy die or the couple that you think is going to be together not together. In these old movies, you don't know what's going to happen because you're not guaranteed a Hollywood ending. That's why they're so great. But in no, in the forties, there were a lot of Hollywood endings. Anna is consistent in in that she, she's got one she's got one motivation, which is she loves Harry. We don't know exactly yeah. why she loves Harry, um, other than you know he's Orson Welles and he's pretty cool. Uh, other other than the penicillin thing, but she she does stick with that throughout. Uh, you know she and I think there is certainly the cl- the cliche of the mysterious European. Um, and, and so she gets to play that role and she gets to be the nice looking Europe, mysterious European, unlike all the droopy faced Europeans that you see elsewhere in the movie. Uh, th- th- there is a reason I think that she, she has to love Harry. And, and this sort of gets us back on the, on the plot summary train here is that we <laughs> find out through all their, their investigations. And when the, uh, when the military police are ran, ransacking her apartment that, um, her papers have been forged with Harry's help um, to suggest that she is not um, Czechoslovakian, because if it's found out that she's Czechoslovakian, she uh, will be claimed by the Russians and repatriated uh, outside of the Western world. Uh, as it's established early in the uh, film, Vienna's the divided city with the English, British, French, and uh, 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 Russian, Russian yeah. sectors, um, and all the the police are inter- units from each international uh, country that's 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 patrolling Vienna which makes it easy for uh, uh, the black market to thrive but she um, she sort of turned to Harry for help and Harry gave her the help and now it seems that uh, uh, the police are about to uncover that plot and use it to uh, get her to tell them what she knows about uh, uh, Harry's operation right that's the that's the leverage and there's a there's a nice scene where uh you know, there's this back and forth about Callaway and the Russian police guy and whether they're going to, uh, they're, 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 you know, they take her papers and there's this, the threat, threat hanging over. Her, and at one point, Holly is hoping that he can trade his help in catching Harry to saving her because she's precariously positioned here. She may not, uh, she may be sent back to Czechoslovakia. Meanwhile, uh, Holly is continuing his investigation and he meets my favorite of, uh, Harry's Confederates, Doctor Winkle, hmm? not not Winkle, no, Winkle. Winkle. It's pronounced Winkle. <laughs> Our yes. hero is bad at names, isn't he? <laughs> he really is bad. He's at bad names. at lots of things. <laughs> yeah, he's not not really a good hero. But um, and he questions Doctor Winkle or Winkle about the many uh, inconsistencies in the story, and Doctor Winkle says, "I do not have an opinion," and it's it's. <laughs> It is my favorite little bit. Also, we noticed that the Baron's little yappy dog is at Dr. Winkle's mm-hmm. house. Um, the one little detail that Holly is uh, not even not, not even dim enough to overlook. So uh, Yeah, it's the law of <laughs> conservation of dog characters. 
in this mm-hmm. film. There's only Is the that one your dog. dog? Yes. <laughs> Some other stuff happens, and it all looks gorgeous. It does. It really, the shadows and the lighting is great. Um, at, at some point, uh, Holly is uh, uh, on the run, and he is grabbed by a, a, a mysterious man and driven off. And it turns out it's to that lecture he was supposed to give to the, the society. And as as Jason suggests, it's a disaster because they don't want they want a real author there. They don't want Mr. Cowboy Books, who's <laughs> talking about how Zane Gray is an influence. They want someone who talks about Mr. James Joyce. Where would you rank him? Among writers of Westerns, specifically. Yeah. <laughs> yes, very, very poorly, James Joyce fares among Western writers. This whole thing is great because, first off, he obviously hasn't prepared because he's been doing, I mean, it's like every nightmare I've had about presenting at a conference, right? It's like, oh, God, they've taken me here and I haven't prepared. But uh, more than that, he just got out of a car where he thought he was basically going to be shot. And and instead, it's like, oh, welcome. And that the way that whole thing is played, where they're, the, the driver is lurking in the hotel and he's going to go and do something else and then he's like oh well yes you can take me and and then they speed through the streets it's just a, it's a, just a wonderful scene because you you have been cranked up with so much paranoia at that point and then I, i'm right there with holly when the door opens and it's like oh right it's a lecture oh no i have to give the lecture now and <laughs> by the end and there's like a dissolve and everybody is leaving while he's still talking because he- it is like it is like the dream where you show up at the final um in your underwear and you haven't studied for the class yep. and people are trying to kill you because it's international intrigue. Yeah. And the crazy <laughs> car ride comes right after he was accused of murdering Murder. the porter. Right. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think the failure of this presentation is his fault. He was promised that his books were very popular here. That was a lie. Yes. That, Nobody's even heard of Zane Gray. <laughs> that was Colonel Pickering buttering him up for to, to uh, yeah. do the And he had, ta- he had talked to Sergeant Payne, obviously, who does yeah. like the and, books. No, I have to I have to blame Holly for this. I mean, I've been to so many science fiction conventions where I've heard writers talk about their writing, and some of them just really suck at that. Maybe they're good <laughs> writers, but like... Let me tell you about my book. Oh, God. But we please. only saw the audience Q&A, which is the worst part of any panel. <laughs> and, true. and we didn't even see the part where the PowerPoint failed. I mean, that right there. <laughs> I was. I have to admit, in that moment, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I have to give an impromptu presentation in front of these people. Like, I, I kind of wanted to see it. I mean, I really did. I kind of wanted to see Holly's sweaty, made up, like, let me tell you about my influences <laughs> and uh, being an author and all of that, because it's like... That's kind of a fun uh, a challenge, right? Like just make right. up a presentation to a community group, Mister Writer guy who just got had a creepy kid accuse him of murder and thought he was going to get shot in the head like ten minutes ago. Uh, see how you do now, uh, but you know that's that's one of my favorite improv games. Yeah. Yeah, you take somebody, you throw them in a car, they think they're being kidnapped, and then they have to give a presentation. See how it goes. Interactive theater. Mm -hmm. Immersive. Now, I should have have mentioned earlier, um, during uh, Holly's various uh, preambulations about about Vienna, that he ran into Mr. Popescu, the Romanian, who just oozes menace. (laughs) Whereas Dr. Vinkel and uh, the Baron are just sort of these comical, uh, uh, wrinkly... They're congenial. 
wrinkly uh, uh, Central Europeans. Popescu just looks like he he is is he he just radiates. I am a no good neck. He doesn't have anything legitimate about him. Like they don't try to pretend that he's in some business or has some name. All we know about him is he's a Romanian and he is Popescu. Yeah. <laughs> like he is just not even trying to be legit. He is just shady. And he does the thing that truly evil characters do, where every time Holly asks him a question, he 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 laughs and goes, "Oh, <laughs> I'm not a bad guy." <laughs> he saves the Q and A. Yes, and yeah. uh, and end. that's why I bring him up because he he is tired of Holly Martin's digging around, and he shows up at the Q and A and 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 just full of menace and says, "Hey, are you working on anything now, Mister Martin's?" Yes, I am. I'm working on a uh, a story called The Third Man. Oh, is it a work of fiction? No, it's 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 based on fact. Oh, you're mixing fact with fiction, oh. and it's it's one of those great little conversations where if the people who were storming out aren't weren't confused before, they most certainly are now. Especially when Holly just <laughs> bolts for the stairs. <laughs> Get yes. out of there! Get out of there! Goodbye. Well, the the, t- the two um, the two burly henchmen that Popescu uh, mm-hmm. uh, motions to probably uh prompted him so he's like a cartoon character because it's like he moves in one direction to sort of you know spring himself off into the direction of the uh of the stairs it's 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 like something that uh, that bugs bunny would do it doesn't look like a human being doing it it's very weird so but wait wait if he's if holly martin's writing a novel about solving this murder and we're watching a movie about the murder being solved is are we watching the movie version of the novel that Holly Martin's is writing during the movie that we're watching? Yes, no. that well, explains why this drip is the hero. He put himself there. <laughs> it, well, it's yeah, it's it's very meta movie where that very that's meta. why I'm saying you know he's he's trying to make sense of this in his his cheap novelist kind of way, and it doesn't make sense, and that's where a lot of the confusion comes up because he can't make it make sense the way he knows things should. Because it's real life. I, I should also point as um, point out as Holly Martin climbs the stairs in the classic movie. Don't don't climb the stairs. No. There's no way out when you <laughs> climb the stairs. There's this wonderful MC Escher MC Escher like shot from the mm. uh, bottom perspective of of him going up this this spiral staircase to nowhere um, that 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 I just love. Anyhow, he gets into the attic. There's this there's this noise in the attic. He turns on the light. There's a parrot in the attic. Naturally, Holly Martin's gets bit by the parrot as he escapes <laughs> from the from the attic. <laughs> Bit by a parrot. It's great, and and this is this brings up because he escapes over rubble. One of the things I really love about this movie there's there's several mm-hmm. escapes over rubble because this obviously Vienna had had been bombed, and it was filmed in Vienna too. Yeah, unlike yeah. our our other movie, which was not filmed in East Berlin. No, but hmm. uh, this this and so that adds to this the flavor of the post war. I mean, this is this is 1949. It's not too far post war, and uh, you get that flavor of of the city being uh, bombed, but also also, it's uh, great for chases because you can just kind of like run down the rubble into the sewer or wherever you need to go. And, uh, and you know, well, he that, does that. Well, that zither just plucks away. While the zither plays. Excitement. That's right. My note here says chase through rubble. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. There's a few of them. There, it's, it's great. So Holly shows up back at Anna's apartment and is just forlorn and, and pretty much decides that he's going to go. No, wait, 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 wait. Oh, yeah. first, first, he gets a successful PowerPoint. Uh, from Callaway. 
<laughs> oh. oh yeah, that, that's right. The slideshow right. of right. of Harry Lime's crime, the ma- ma- Magic Lantern show <laughs> with the, with the with the giant uh, uh, magnifying glass and, and all mm-hmm. these things. Where apparently, you know, Holly is is learning how penicillin looks like under a magnifying glass. It's very weird. But <laughs> basically, the, the the entire operation is outlined to us. Harry Lime has been uh, uh, taking penicillin, watering it down, and reselling it at. How much was it? Uh, seventy pounds. A seventy vial. pounds. A, seventy pounds a tube. Which, as a biologist, I can say is totally believable. Hmm. Yeah, because penicillin, hmm. the the ability of penicillin to kill off bacteria, is directly proportional to the concentration of penicillin. And that's why so have, there are all those kids yeah. in the hospital because they were all using this watered down penicillin. Yeah, those are the ones that survived. Yeah, and then all the kids. Now wait, die. I read on the internet that the less there is of a medicine, the more powerful it is. <laughs> well, that would just is, be wrong. This is ten x penicillin. Yeah, this is, this and, is and this is where young deal. Phil was watching this movie. And goes, hey, this isn't like the guy on the radio show at all. <laughs> <laughs> he was fun and just kind of a lighthearted scamp. Yeah, he was. He did capers. Yeah. yeah. He did capers and inadvertently helped people. Yeah. This is also where we learn about the orderly uh, Harbin. Yes. Who is m- missing. Yes. The missing orderly Joseph Harbin, um, who uh, apparently was uh, 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 Harry Lyme's source for all the penicillin. And that's when droopy dog Holly Martins shows up at uh, at Anna's apartment and is all very sad about what's what's gone on. And uh, I just want to talk about Okay. I just don't know who the third man is. I'm just a hack writer who drinks too much and falls in love with girls. Have I ever told you about Zane Gray? <laughs> I think you guys are being really unfair. We don't know anything about this guy's writing quality. You are literally judging a book by the cover, and that is a fine cover. That's a good cover. The book by the that author. guy's got two guns. Mm-hmm. This is a genre of uh, podcast network. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Get ready for the Holly Martin's novel, uh, Western novel podcast coming. <laughs> Holly Martin's book club. I got dibs on Lone Rider of Santa Fe. Writers of the Viennese stage. Let's let's get to Orson Welles. Let's uh, let's get to Orson Welles. One of the main reasons for this scene is we learn that the that the cat only really liked Harry, the cat that mm-hmm. lives in Anna's apartment, and then all of a sudden the cat wanders out into the street and begins brushing up against a guy who's uh, who's standing in the shadows of a doorway. Hmm. That's strange, mm. but we don't have much time to think about that because uh, uh, Holly Martins is uh, headed home uh, when he notices the guy standing in the doorway and drunkenly yells at him, hey, some spy you are, why don't you show yourself? And he makes such a ruckus that a uh, a neighbor uh, flips on the light to angrily yell at them in German. A lot of angry yelling in German in this I movie. I love it so much. <laughs> and with the flickering of that light, we get our first glimpse at... Orson Welles as Harry Lime, who doesn't say a word and just smiles and disappears as soon as the light is doused. Um, at which point, uh, Holly Martin does the ghost and chases after him. As the zither plays, don't forget. Oh, as the zither plays. The zither doesn't stop. The zither orchestra got time and a half for this scene. Let's just say the woman is the only one in this movie that changes her tune. Huh? Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, I I love the 
just the silent acting on Orson Welles' part in that shot. That is a great shot. It is amazingly composed. There's a lot of weird kind of Dutch angle stuff happening in this movie, the way it's shot. But that that shot, the light pops on. There he is. You know, he's got his hat. And, and he does this thing with his with his mouth that's like, you know, he doesn't move much, but it's like, you know, you got me. And then yeah, well, I'm a little scamp. It's great. Well, you got me. It's a little smirk, but it's more than that. Yeah, There's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just beautiful. it says a lot, and then uh, the light goes out, and he go, and Holly has to chase after him, and it's just it's great. It's a great it's a great moment. It's a great reveal. Uh, it is. It's one of the. I mean, it's it's one of the classic shots of movie history. I think. Yep. Maybe maybe one of the five greatest. It looks like it's out of a Rembrandt painting. <laughs> yeah, just a face floating in darkness. It's I hear if you if you give Apple uh, nine hundred dollars, you can make your iPhone like two portraits like that. Oh too. man, somebody should really like get somebody and and do do like a Harry Lime shot with the a portrait mode in the iPhone. <laughs> yeah, there's a third man app for uh, iPhone. You, you open it and it's like, why is all the zither coming out of my iPhone? <laughs> <laughs> So he tells Major Calloway, Major Calloway doesn't believe him, but then notices, oh, that door to the uh, sewer is askew. Um, uh, oh, dear Lord, he's re- really is alive. Let's go dig up his grave just to make sure. And in the grave is the dear departed Joseph Harbin from the, the hospital. Da, da, da. The orderly from the hospital. We should have dug deeper than a grave is what Major uh, Major Calloway says at that point. So at this point, Holly Martins is really he is he is one angry Holly Martin. So he goes to Baron Kurtz's home and uh, says, I want to I saw a dead man. And, and of course, Dr. Winkle is there. Do you have any opinion about that, Dr. Winkle? Winkle and um, <laughs> demands to see uh, uh, Harry Lyme and says, I'll meet him over at that that um, that Ferris wheel, which is actually a, a real thing in uh in Austria, in Vienna, it's still there. Uh, uh, don't make me pronounce what it is. The the Weiner Reisrand, F- I'll, I'll say. Wheel. It's fair, yeah. Yes. Um, it's the London Eye. That's yes, right. That's the, what it's called. It's the, it's the Vienna Eye. Exactly. And this is probably the 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 really big famous scene in the Third Man because uh, who should happen to stroll up? But it's good old Harry Lime, uh, fit as a fiddle and uh, and uh, ready to talk to our 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 dear friend Holly Martins. And and he's strolling up like the cat that ate the canary. He's yeah. just joyous. Mm-hmm. It's like Holly, you came. Always come back from the dead. Yes, and, and, and Holly's all all these terrible things are happening. And Harry, I'm about Harry to blow says, you off the entire movie. Nobody's even going to remember you. Yeah, and, 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 and Harry says in one of my favorite lines, what am I supposed to do? I'm dead. <laughs> so they, they go in the Ferris wheel, which is a really bad place to go if you're if you're about to confront your uh, murderous friend with uh, evidence of his wrongdoing and you're the only one who has proof of his existence. Um, and um, I don't know if I can uh, recap this scene enough to do it justice. It's it's just a, a wonderful bit where we, we learn that Harry is basically a sociopath and um, uh, does the very famous line about, uh, well, why would you do this terrible thing with the penicillin? And Harry says, look at all those dots down there referring to the people and if i if i were to give you twenty thousand pounds for every dot that stopped moving would you would you tell me to keep my money or would you calculate how many you could afford to to see stop moving before your conscience got the best of you and and i love that right on top of it without even 
without even stopping, he goes, and free of income tax. Free mm-hmm. of income tax, old man. That's what about, he's caring like, about. People dying, and, and he writes Anna's name. That's like, well, what, what is that? What's up with that? That, that he's trying to intimidate uh, Holly into not doing anything unwise because as as he keeps saying throughout the scene you you really shouldn't have gone to the police yeah and he, uh, we haven't mentioned he opens the door to the the <laughs> car which is this implication that he could just chuck old uh, holly out of the out of the door and kill him and silence him if he if he needed to probably could and and the only time that he closes the door and becomes jovial Harry again is when uh, Holly mentions that well they found ha- Harbin's body so they know you're alive. He says all this stuff to what's supposed to be his, his best friend in the world. Right. I yeah, kill you it's all very one. scary. But then he has that cool anecdote about the cuckoo clock, and we all love him again, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's Orson Welles. He's lovable. He scared us with the Martians and stuff. Yeah. Great exit awesome. after that line too. Oh yeah. <laughs> Boom. He's off. The possibly apocryphal story is that uh, Orson Welles wrote that speech himself. Is that accurate or that's what I've always heard? Or nay? Yeah, because it it doesn't play that way in the book. You're right. That's that's not there. And that and the book was basically the outline for the movie. And and Orson Orson Welles was quite famous for coming up with his own dialogue, even in movies that he did not write or direct. Yeah, and, and, and he, he went on he wrote several episodes of the Harry Lyme radio show. Right. Uh, I mean, he really enjoyed the character. And uh, so, yeah, I I believe it. I don't know if it's true. I, I think it's pro- it's one of those long rumored things that is probably true or at least close enough to being true to 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 repeat as fact. So yeah. this is this is the part of the movie where, having watched it before, I was unclear on how much movie is left. And there's actually kind of a lot in the sense that they want to do, the police want to do a sting using, you know, Calloway wants to use Holly to lure out Harry so that they can capture him. And right. uh, he's, he, he's... Still guilty about setting up his friend, but then he bargains for Anna's passport for her safe passage, and it's because at that point she's about to be deported back to Czechoslovakia. Yeah, and and uh, and so he's going to do that, but she then says, you know, basically refuses, and and because she won't betray Harry even if Holly will, and Holly uh, has second thoughts, except then he has third Quite thoughts because because uh, Holly is stupid and shows up at the railway station to see her <laughs> off. Totally. And she knows she knows something's up, and um, we we can get to this by once we finish the plot. But much of this movie is just Holly Martin stepping it time and time again, screwing everything up and making everything worse than it needs to be. Uh, whether it's getting the the he essentially gets the porter killed, and he essentially yes. prevents Anna from 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 being none the being wiser repa- and safe in the West, uh, away yeah. from communist oppression. I bet in the version of this story that he writes, he saves everybody and sh- <laughs> like shoots Harry in a big like high noon type gun battle. Yeah, and then and, and, gets and, off and, with and the in girl. every scene people say, "Wow, that Holly Martin's is pretty cool." That's how Zane Grey would have done it. <laughs> so in the end, he does set up uh, Harry, and there's a chase. Although I do want to mention um, um, during that final setup, there's that that 
again, one of those wonderful characters who has no lines, the balloon salesman who shows yeah. up to <laughs> distract Major uh, Calloway and, and Sergeant Payne by balloon. Mm-hmm. Get out of here. Get, my no, head. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> yes. I, I love the shot where he first appears. There's that big pile of rubble and there's this, this old guy selling balloons to an empty street. Yes. And basically, <laughs> and you, you know that Harry Lyme pulled a, this balloon salesman and said, go down this street. Anyone you see, sell them a balloon and mm-hmm. don't take no for an answer so that I can mm-hmm. get in the back door of this cafe. Well, you also get Bernard Lee after he buys the balloon from mm-hmm. the guy to get go. He has this sort of quintessentially English thing. Go on, Scarper. <laughs> a great word. And then it's a chase in the sewers for a long time, longer than I remember. It a is great. a really, it is a really long chase, but it is a really uh, uh, brilliantly filmed chase. Oh yeah, yes. Oh god, yes. But even even though at the end, like uh, you know, Harry dies again, but there's uh, the production code that was going on at the time, and part of that was. You couldn't have sympathy for criminals. And so in, in so many of these great film noir movies, in the last 10 seconds of the movie, like the bad guy that you've been rooting for during this whole movie and the main character and the guy that you love just dies. He's just shot or arrested. And then like roll credits like five seconds later. It's like, whoa, wait, what, what just happened? Oh, my God, the movie's over. Oh. That's why the radio show was allowed to be fun because Harry Lyme had already gotten his comeuppance in the movie Right. So he never has to get his comeuppance in the radio show. But but the other thing to remember, the code was only for American movies. This was not an American movie. This was the way Graham Greene wanted it to play out. That was the plot. One of the things I like about how Harry dies is that he, I mean, look, he is running around that sewer. He knows all the little ways to go. And yet he, you know, they brought everybody. He's getting cornered. He is making, he's doubling back. He's doing all these, all of his tricks. And when he finally... Um, gets shot. Uh, the the thing that's amazing about it is when he gets shot, he is not more than five steps from getting out of it. Right. That's the beauty yes, of it. Is right. he's not cornered right. and shot. He has reached a point where if he were not so wounded that he can't push the manhole cover off, he would get out into an open space where nobody is waiting for him, and that's where he dies. Just that close. I, and I I just I love that. I love that he kind of did solve how to escape but just not in enough time before he got shot yep well it's a good thing he has all that penicillin because if he's wounded at all down there <laughs> it's, like, all the it's a beautiful sewer it's a great <laughs> sewer i love that sewer it's still a sewer you don't want to get too shot up during it and poor sergeant Payne meets his demise oh, in the sewer so too. Sad. we, we yeah. should mention my second favorite shot in the movie after the introduction of harry is the shot the, the low angle shot from just above the grate where Harry's fingers are through it as he's at the top of the spiral staircase. And you see, you know, Vienna in the background. You're looking up. His fingers are going through. The grate doesn't move even. They don't, they don't even give him that much that he's, that he's that close. It's just, it's a great shot. I don't, I don't know what it is about it that I love it, but I love that shot. It's stuck with me. I saw this movie, I think, first in like 1980. And, that's the thing I wait for. I mean, the two things I wait for is Harry's introduction in the doorway and that final, sh- that near final shot uh, of his fingers up through the grate as he's working his way up the spiral staircase and can't quite get there. I believe that's the director's fingers because Orson was not on set oh, yeah. at yeah. all. <laughs> or yeah the, yeah, the story is Orson was there 
he he had one day in the sewers and he said, that's it. You make a set. <laughs> go, let's go back to Shepperton and make a set. I'm not doing this. And then we've and then we have the wrap up scene, which we've we, we've talked about already, which is Harry Lime's real funeral. Uh, not so many mourners this time. Uh, just uh, uh, Anna and uh, Major Calloway and uh, and, 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 and Holly Martins and um, and the great shot of uh, him waiting to talk to her and her just walking um, walks on by. This is Holly doing everything wrong. Like Holly, Holly, you know, his friend has been killed. Um, he doesn't get the girl. Like you know, it really. And, and what's worse is that he 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 uh, he could have. He he's blown off his ride to the airport. That's the, yeah, the exactly. unkindest cut of all. Is that <laughs> I, I want to say the the relationship between Holly and uh and uh old uh, old uh not irish english callaway right not callahan mm-hmm. callaway um i really enjoy that relationship i th- i feel it's the I, I was telling dr drang this earlier this week i feel that's the most re- believable relationship in the movie um it's it is it it feels very similar to casablanca to me in a way where yeah. where you get yeah. the well, it's I, it's the dark funhouse mirror version of casablanca yeah <laughs> I, I almost want them to be like you know say, say this could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship between callaway and holly here but it doesn't it doesn't happen no. like that well again it it confounds what you expect yeah it and, and Jason, you 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 sort of um, uh, came upon my theme as I watched this movie is that Holly Martin's does everything wrong. Yep. If you want someone to reach the wrong conclusion, call Holly Martin's. If you want someone to bungle his way into thing, he discovers nothing. He cracks no case. The case is cracked for him. Other people do all the work. He is just there going, "What? Huh? What happened? A parrot bit me. Good God! What the end of the movie? Yeah, it, it, as as Major Calloway says, you you were born to be murdered. <laughs> yeah. Well, he survives because he's not competent enough to be a threat to anyone. Exactly. He does kill Harry. Sure. He does, okay. Yeah, I mean, he, sure. He's, he's the one that Harry. Harry. Okay. Fine. I'm dead. I'm dying. Just, just kill me. So, but uh, I was ranting about this to my wife. So this is theory trademark Lisa Schmeiser, and she she pointed out um, basically that at that time uh, writers were very much tweaking the idea of the omniscient narrator who knew everything that was going on, and here's a narrator who who knows absolutely goddamn nothing, and, and is <laughs> and is just so mm-hmm. terrible at everything that he does. The unreliable narrator. It's it's not just unreliable; it's incompetent. Yeah, the the, the, the it's not the um, it's the no omniscient merit narrator. <laughs> All right. Well, we spent a lot of time on on uh, on the third man. We should spend a little bit of time on the spy who came in from the cold from 1965, based on Jean Lacare's novel. So, Phil, tell tell us, uh, and that was a hint, by the way, about like a little bit. Maybe we, if we can do a little shorter plot synopsis this time. Oh no, this is this is the, right. the shortest plot summary you're ever going to get. <laughs> My notes are three times as long in this movie. Go ahead. Interesting. No, <laughs> no well, I'm I'm I, the contrast with the third man, which is very um, uh, plot heavy and trying to sort it out. It's it's very straightforward with the spy who came in from the cold. Basically, uh, Alec Lemus, who is played by Richard Burton at his most dissolute is our the, finest sweaty drunk actor oh my god this is the part he was born to play so i don't <laughs> always do fantasy casting but richard burton in this movie is like a direct mixture of clive owen and russell crowe like i can yes. see 
other actors in him in this movie. It's weird. It's really weird. I just want to say when Russell Crowe first hit, I immediately I was like, that's Richard Burton. <laughs> yeah, he right? could play Richard Burton. <laughs> he gets drunk and gets in fights all the time. I, I think that's perfect. Yeah. Although you say that, but the wife and I like to play the the when we're watching the old movies, cast this now with today's actors. You wouldn't you would you would raise Richard Burton from the dead to play this part. <laughs> oh, yes. And he would be perfectly preserved because of all the alcohol <laughs> flowing through his veins. He's pickled. Um, so he is the he is basically the spy in charge of Berlin, and the movie opens with him uh, basically trying to get a defector and informer across the checkpoint. Charlie, um, I don't have to tell you it does not go well. He is shot full of shot full of holes, and Lemus is brought back to uh, to London. So um, I want to stop you only because one of the problems I have with this movie, and I did like this movie, is that this opening scene is. So so amazing the the atmosphere of of checkpoint charlie and berlin and the 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 taut like the cold war tension and and him being there nervous waiting for his guy and he like starts to walk across and rides on his bike and he's shot through full of holes like you say it is such a great opening scene and then then you have to be like oh but now we're leaving this and we're gonna go this is not the movie you think you're watching um but it did make me want to watch atomic blonde again so i've got that going for me i love that movie well and it it also reminds me, speaking of Orson Welles, it reminded me a little bit of the opening of Touch of Evil. I mean, that's a, a single tracking yeah. shot, but it's yeah. also going to a border. It's also a checkpoint. And they have a shot of a car trunk, and I'm waiting for the car to blow up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's building the suspense. This is not a single shot, but it's that same kind of, you know, we're not going to be flashy music or anything. We're going to set you up with, with the tension. And uh, it, it, it's not quite as explosive, but it's just as tragic. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's another one of these things about the great things about these old movies because you die in ways that you can't die anymore. Like uh, I don't remember the last time someone was shot trying to cross the Berlin, you know, the barrier, the Berlin Wall, or whatever. Or you know, there's film noirs where someone's strangled by a telephone cord. I mean, do we even still have telephone cords anymore? <laughs> I've got a movie for you. It's called Shining Through, starring Melanie Griffith and <laughs> Michael Douglas, where they sneak across the German border and it is painted like the end zone at Giant Stadium. <laughs> oh. You used to be able to hit people with te- telephones and knock them out. I don't think you could do that anymore. No, you can't. You just break your phone. Well, maybe with the iPhone X. Lemus is brought back to London to be called on the carpet. There's the, the control uh, uh, seems to suggest you're being and you're being drummed out of the core, but then sort of leaves open the door that, well, maybe we can keep you out in the cold a little bit longer. And at that point, we uh, follow Alec Lemus to the unemployment office. So maybe uh, <laughs> maybe it didn't work out so well, that meeting. Anyhow, he gets a job at a uh, library where he meets Nan, Nan Perry, who's a who's a much younger woman, although not really in in terms of the fact that they cast Claire Bloom, who was only a not not that much younger than Richard Burton. Yeah, but, but Richard um, Burton feels like he's mid fifties. Oh my minimum. god. He, he always no, he, felt that way. Yeah. yeah, he well, you know, it's all it's it it's the Scotch. So yeah. They're doing all the setup that he is he is burnt out of the spy agency. He um he uh keeps going to the shop run by Mr. Patamore, who's played by Bernard Lee, the local shopkeeper. Yeah. Who, he has n- he has no money. He he's uh 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 
embittered and angry and uh and and then one day uh he just for no reason uh beats the crap out of poor Bernard Lee uh over over some some dispute over the store debt. At that point he's cast into prison. That is a terrible looking fight. I know <laughs> Richard Burton knew how to punch people. Yeah. What mm. happened? I think well, he clearly was pulling punches so as not to hit Bernard Lee that, well, that badly. Yeah. Also, also, one thing I do want to say about uh, as much as the atmosphere that they create in uh, Berlin is is something to behold. Boy, they really make 1960s London look like a shithole with its canned <laughs> oh, yeah. peaches and and, and, uh, and tinned uh, fake caviar. Yes, and fake it's fake caviar. caviar, and it's I'll have a tin of ham. Uh, it just just a miserable. Ex- I'll have the scampi. Uh, just <laughs> awful, awful thing. But so he's he's in the prison. He's cast out of the prison, and that's when he's met by Mister Ash, who claims to be um, in a benevolent society. But really, he's not so benevolent. He seems to be really interested in um, Alec Lemus's former associations with uh, the spy agency. He hooks him up with. Uh, uh, another fella who uh, uh, clearly is uh, working for the communists and uh, uh, basically convinces him, hey, for for a lot of money, just come to Netherlands with me and we'll spend two weeks and you'll tell me everything you know and then I'll give you all the money you want. So at that point, uh, uh, Lemus uh, breaks off and, and changes buses many times and is clearly shaking any tails that he has and goes to the apartment of George Smiley. Hey, we know Ooh, him from other what? Uh, what? John Le Carre, Le Carre has, movies and books. He has people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so he shows sure. up. Uh, Control is there at the apartment. And that, that's when we learn this has all been a big put on, that mm. they, they made a big show of firing Alec Lemus, and he made a big show of being a, a horrible drunkard. Not much of an act for him. Um, that's and, method uh, acting yes, is what I've, that is. I studied. Method acting has become unsound. <laughs> Richard Harris and I were up acting all night, and I'm ready for it, man. <laughs> I will act you off the screen. I studied long and hard to be a drunkard in this movie. Uh, so <laughs> what I love about this movie is that there are people that they're like space aliens because they look like humans, but they don't really act like humans. A little bit. They're just doing like these like bizarre things that like make no sense whatsoever. They're spies. Yeah. Well, also they're British. <laughs> yeah. So many of the scenes of this movie are remembering how many lumps someone takes in their tea and how much milk and. It's over and over again, and all the time I'm thinking, I don't identify with this at all. I don't know how many <laughs> so, lumps. No, no, no. Of- See, I think that's really an important detail. It, it is. It is an important detail. But I'm saying, in my life, I don't know how many lumps of sugar anyone takes in their tea. Oh, that's why you're not a spy, my man. Damn it. <laughs> No, but I have a theory about the Nancy Perry character that we'll get to. All right. So at this point, we learn that um, this is all basically the plot to uh, to get Munt. The uh, the big evil German spy master, um, and to use his second in command Fielder um, to uh, 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 Fiedler. Fiedler. Be... It's not Cecil. It's not Cecil oh, Fielder. It's not more Cecil like Fiedler. Arthur Fiedler. It's, yeah. It's, oh, He's not Arthur Irish. Fiedler, not, not Cecil Fielder. No. Excuse me, <laughs> Callahan. No, Callaway. And he's uh, played by the guy who played uh, Montag in Fahrenheit 451. That's who it is. Not Werner. Yeah. 
Oscar Vanna. I knew I liked him, and I knew he looked familiar. But and as they, uh, uh, as control remarks, Fiedler's a Jew, and Munt's very much the other thing. So man, they uh, cast the most Teutonic-looking guy in the world for Munt. Oh man, he is so <laughs> yeah. he is none more German than Munt. Um. Uh, so uh, uh, Lemus goes off to Netherlands on his fake passport. He um, is being debriefed at the safe house in uh, on on the the coast of uh, Holland, which uh, is made to look as grimy as you can make a seaside thing look. Um, at that point, they bring in a newspaper. They bring in the Times of London, where he's now front page news because he suddenly disappeared. And there is that wonderful lingering shot of uh, Lemus where he realizes. Oh God! This wasn't part of the plan. I'm I'm totally out on my own here, because um, apparently the uh, the 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 communists leaked to the um, to the press that uh, Lemus has fled the country and now he can't he he has no choice but to uh, uh, head into East Germany with the uh, the uh, uh, with his handlers for further Fiedler. interrogation. This is when we meet Field F- Fiedler. Fiedler. Very difficult when you can pronounce your L's and your R's, um, uh, who is very uh, uh, intent on framing Munt. Um, we learn that there is an elaborate banking scheme that I am not going to break down for you. But the uh, long story short, basically, the implication is that uh, the English have been paying Munt, suggesting that Munt is actually the uh, the double agent who has been feeding the, the English all this material. Lima says, well, that's impossible. How could that be? I would have known about it. I was the head of the Berlin Bureau. Um, there's arrests and cross-arrests and accusations, and Munt is brought on trial. At this point, um, uh, poor Nan, who, is, who had been back in England, has been... Uh, uh, flown into Germany. She, uh, we learned earlier in the movie, she's something of a communist because she's an idealist and goes to anti-war marches and nuclear disarmament marches, and and she's kind of a kind of a dupe. It's because she works at a library that makes her an intellectual and not to be trusted. Yeah, exactly. But it's but Monty, <laughs> it's like a bogus library. It's like a library with books about ghosts and psychics. I don't know what kind of library it is, but it's a bad library. She <laughs> it works is a, a great it's a library. Right. Oh I'm into God, it. That sounds like the best library in the world. Uh, and it's excessively indexed, which is the best yeah, kind triple of index. library. That part is hilarious, too, yes. Triple index library so, of yes, shit But books, she's given the pretense so. that there's going to be some... She's been called up for, like, a party meeting conference in East a Germany. party exchange, an exchange of, uh, of, uh, of communist uh, uh, organizers. So she's flown into Germany. Um, Lemus had been very much adamant to, to control and to smiley, hey, leave her out of this, and um, immediately Smiley shows up at her place and says, hey, I can help you out if you need any help. I'm a friend of Lemus's. Don't ask me what we do together. And you think, oh, that, that poor Smiley. He's really stepped in it now. He's really uh, uh, caused all this problem. So um, the trial is there. Lemus is brought in to testify. He uh, backs Fiedler's play that uh, that there's no possible way that Munt could be a double agent. Uh, 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 or actually, he opposes uh, Fiedler's uh, 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 accusations. Munt, uh, some, Munt's attorney calls to the stand Nan Perry, who, who uh, disclosed 
discloses that, well, yes, my lease has been paid off by uh, George Smiley, and uh, uh, George Smiley is a friend of Alex's, and uh, uh, oh, it turns out that this entire thing uh, was a was a plot to make Mutt look bad uh, for the for the betterment of Fiedler. So Fiedler is arrested, and uh, uh, looks like he's going to uh, uh, be shot. And there's there's crosses and double crosses and it's a very hard to follow. And then with um, with uh, Lemus uh, locked in locked in what appears to be German prison for quite some time, the door is left open. He escapes. It's Munt helping him escape because it turns out that Munt was the double agent after all. And this has all been an elaborate plot on the part of Control without Lemus's knowledge to uh, make Munt look like uh, to, to remove any suspicion about Munt and uh, kill anyone who thinks that Munt might be bad. Uh, Munt's going to help them escape back into the West. Him, uh, Lemus and Nan Perry, they get to the wall. They're given an elaborate series of things that they have to do to get over the wall. <laughs> they they, they go where there's the handkerchief, handkerchief and then wait for the yeah. light and then go up the ladder and the wire has been cut. He doesn't even take notes on the directions to the wall. It's just, okay, you're going to go three miles. At th- You're going to see some lights. You're going to turn left. Go another two miles with your headlights off. There's that great bit of dialogue between uh, Nan and uh, Alec uh, on the drive over where it's it, it's somewhat awkward. She's going, what, what, what's happening? He's all, this, is the, <laughs> this is the spy business. We're terrible people. Life is awful. <laughs> yep. And it's also you can sleep peacefully at night. Everything I've told you is a lie and everything I've been told is a lie. But I'm okay with it being a lie because I lie too. And we're drunk, terrible people. (laughs) Merry Christmas. There is the theme of the movie in a nutshell, by the way, right there, which is the whole idea is that although we view this battle between the West and the East as being this clash of good versus evil and totalitarianism versus democracy, that when it comes down to the rules that their spy services uh, play by, they are all playing dirty. They are all amoral, awful people. They may be for the good side, but they are not good guys. That is what this movie is about. And it's, it, it you know, that speech puts a a dot on it it hangs a lantern on it at the end but it's already clear pretty much at that point that that's the case but that speech is what makes this movie so great because right i mean here you have like all these james bond movies about how awesome and suave and wonderful james bond is and then this movie comes out about how spies are really kind of nasty horrible people what the hell do you think spies are moral philosophers measuring everything they do against the word of god or Karl marx they're not they're a bunch of seedy squalid bastards like me i've got a note here that lacare is all about the tedium of spycraft like yeah yeah. the the spy work he does is when he's getting drunk and getting arrested for stuff once he's been taken over to the east he's just acting as a tool but of control who has set him up to not be believed by anyone about anything right and right yeah we'll save right. you from getting executed probably when well, and, and the interesting thing about uh, you know, the, the height of the James Bond craze and all the spies and secret agents. Uh, John le Carre is a pen name because yes. in his real life, he was working at MI5. And, and, you know, one of the things that's amazing through all his novels is that that is, that is it. It's the tedium of it and the, the minutiae and, uh, dangerous things will happen, but this is what it's really like. And it's heightened because it's fiction, but, you know, and and he was forced to use a pen name because you weren't allowed to write novels under your own name 
uh, if you worked in British intelligence. <laughs> it's good, good policy. Oh, yeah, good idea. Yeah, yeah. good. Oh, yeah. So he picked that pen name. It's so hard to pronounce. It's French. So, so at the end, they they uh, it's a double cross in that they need to they need to uh, quiet Nan. They need to get back over the wall. Uh, they start climbing over the wall. They're 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 halfway up, and then the guy who has led them to this point appears with a rifle and shoots the hell out of Nan because uh, she was she'll a give it away. End. She she is not a professional spy. She's she's she might have blabbed to someone. Um, and that is when um, you can see Alec kind of snap as George Smiley saying, come on, come on, Alec, let's get over the wall. Now that that lady's been taken care of, we, we can go back to being spies. And You're one of my people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the East German side also says, please go over the wall, Mr. Lemus. Yes. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> what are you? Because Lemus begins to climb back down into into no man's land. And at that point, they uh, they shoot him. End of movie. Ten seconds for the movie ends. Roll <laughs> credits. The end. Roll credits. Yes. Smash cut. No credits. Two. There's no credits. credits. It's literally the There's end. No and it goes away. Anything. It's just like they all die. And then roll credits. Samuel L. Jackson shows up and asks the dead bodies to join the Avengers. Wait, you can't join. You're dead. Life is meaningless. George Smiley presumably <laughs> goes home, has a drink, and says, well, on with my life. <laughs> George Smiley will be back in other movies. He'll be thinner and have less of a mustache. <laughs> so, uh, the girl. I want to talk about the girl. Okay. Okay. So... I have a theory. I mean, in, in the movie, she, like, she's she's made out to be, like, this librarian who, like, gets caught up in this whole thing. I I have an uh, alternative interpretation. I think Nancy is a double agent, too. And she's a spy. And it's given away by when she says that line where she repeats the line that uh, Richard Burton likes two lumps with uh, with his tea. Because that shows that she's been paying attention. <laughs> but I think they purposely repeated that line as, as a hint. But, I mean, the other thing is that, like, here's this pretty young girl who, for no reason at all, is He's interested Richard in Burton. this guy who's a slobbing Did you hear drunkard. his voice? Like, why would she, like, go for this guy at all? It like unless, like, it was part of, like, the spy thing. <laughs> I guess she's got a thing for, like, drunken, slovenly guys. <laughs> he was a sex symbol. That's what sex symbols looked like back then. I think that is a failing of um, of casting um, two actors yeah, who are. were uh, closer in age than uh, w- w- I think they were in the the book. I haven't read the book. But yeah, I, I seem yeah. to understand that he's much. He's supposed to be much older, and she's supposed to be much younger. And I think the idea is that that. She's a young woman who hasn't quite made her way in the world and is impre- overly impressed with his uh, worldliness and uh, mistakes his world weariness for some uh, uh, form of sophistication. That, no, that, I think that she's she, a spy. Well, yeah, I, I don't think they felt they needed any justification for her falling in love with him aside from him being Richard Burton, <laughs> who was at the time considered very, very sexy. And he was sexy enough to get Elizabeth Taylor who was the sexiest woman. Yeah, I mean, she, she's basically, this. she feels toward Alec the way Anna f- felt toward Harry. She loved him, that's all there is. She, you know, she comes to see him after he's been in um, in stir, and, and there's this weird scene um, when Alec is gone, and there's another idiot coming to work at the library, to, uh, who's also a man, 
and she has no interest in him whatsoever. And I think that's to show. Oh yeah, she uh, yes. was she was yes. in love with Alec, and that's why and that's why she stuck with right. him, and that's why she was loyal to him. I'm I'm still going with my idea that she's uh, secretly. You can have your you can have your head cannon. It, oh, yeah. it occurred to yeah. me at one point when I was at my most paranoid in this movie about the fact that he is, you know, he is sent to this library where she is and she picks up on him immediately, immediately. that I had that thought of like, well, you know, maybe very she's, suspicious. she's got the, yeah, it's very suspicious, but well, she really goes for the slovenly drunkards. Mm-hmm. The thing that I, I had picked up on in this, this viewing of the, the movie, I haven't watched this one as much as I have the third man. I had always thought, Oh, smiley, you, you still, Stupid guy, you show up at her place and that tips off the the, the communists that um, that uh, they they should focus in on Nan and uh, and oh, that everything that, Smiley uh, does is on suit. purpose. And then I realized, oh no, they did that on purpose. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It took me several viewings to finally realize, no, they 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 set her up uh, very much so. We mentioned people's droopy faces in the third man, but in this movie, even more so, I think. <laughs> Everybody has such interesting faces. Mm. And th- there's a lot of shots of just people looking. You're like, that guy, what does he think? What has that guy done that this is the face he ended up with? <laughs> Blonde ice. Except for Moont, who Moont is carved from a carved from uh, uh, ivory. Yeah. Mm. yeah, he's doing vodka commercials in in another life. I don't always drink vodka. When I do, I drink good vodka. As for it by name, I'm Moont. I'm beautiful. Did anyone notice Chekhov's pendant in uh, Nan and Alex's first date? She's wearing a pendant that keeps swinging around from breast to breast as she's oh, doing I, I all the and she, things. You know, <laughs> making food and bringing him drinks and stuff like that. And then, and so it's, it's like, it's a substitute for her breasts, I guess, you know, as it's swinging around. And, uh, and then he, he, mo- he out of the frame, just below the frame, but as they have their moment <laughs> at the end of that first date, and he's about to say goodbye, he, he picks it off. It's she, she has done this. I don't know whether this was done with cutting or whether it was just done with good acting, but she's left it askew as she has straightened up and, and stood up at the end of the scene. And just out of frame, he plucks it off of whatever, I guess her right breast and moves it back to the center where it belongs. And it's this, it's, it's this thing that's, it's very distinct. It's a giant pendant that just, I don't know, takes my attention throughout that scene. I'm watching it moving around and moving around. And then suddenly, oh, there it is at the end. And so you don't put a pendant in there unless you're going to do something at the end. It's hypnotic. <laughs> yeah. It's actually the director's hands. Uh, Burton wasn't even on the set. For <laughs> the other theme that runs through this is how uh, jerk-like all of, the East, all of the Russian, Soviet, East German agents are to their underlings. So you start off with Ash getting really berated by uh, uh, by Cornelius mm. Fudge there in, yes. the, in the strip club. By, by Siegfried, Siegfried Farnan, we should mention. Siegfried, yes. A nice young <laughs> yes. Robert Hardy who just passed away a few months ago. Love that actor. <laughs> and, and he's one of those actors who's always 50 years old in everything he's in. He's young here, he's still old. And then he gets older yeah. and he's still old. <laughs> 
Yeah. He is strikingly good looking in this. Yeah, he, I mean, he is. You know, but it's still, it was like, there he is, Cornelius. Yeah, Fudge. there's no question. It's, Siegfried it's still Siegfried. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. But then, okay, then he gets dismissed by uh, Sam Wanamaker. What's his name? Uh, character's name? Peters. Uh, when he drops, when he drops Alex off, Alec rather off. Then Sam Wanamaker is he the guy that drives the car? Uh, yeah, he he's the one who he's the one who takes um, uh, uh, Alec to to Holland on the plane, and then right, and and then there's that scene where where he's like, okay, well, you drove Lemus over here. Uh, you're yes, dismissed exactly. now. You're like, you just get out of here. And and he's like so like crestfallen. It's like, oh man, I just like rode in the car with this guy for like four hours and I don't even find out anything. It's like, oh, well, man, exactly. Sam Wanamaker treats like, Cornelius Fudge the same way Cornelius Fudge treated Ash earlier on. A little bit more subtle, uh, you know, he didn't berate him or anything, but he does it. And then when we get to East Germany, uh, Oscar Werner, not Werner, Werner, uh, huh. he, he, dismiss, he dismisses Vinker. Sam Wanamaker uh in more or less the same way and actually is kind of even again a little bit subtler because he's higher level but also jerkier because he makes Sam Wanamaker who's got a bum leg get up and give him papers instead of just taking a step forward to get the papers from Wanamaker it's and and it's not subtle what's going on overall but there's but there's a progression uh, as you move up the ladder uh, of of these agents, and as um, as Burton gets handed off from one to another, and at the end, of course, Burton is Burton's character just laughs at it because uh, he keeps because he's seen it all this time. Well, yeah, the, 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 that's the that the, you want to talk about who the real jerk is. It's Richard Burton who laughs at poor Santa Watermaker <laughs> as he's humiliated. <laughs> oh. Manners cost nothing, Richard Burton. I know we talked about him earlier, but I just want to say I like Richard Burton's performance in this movie so much. He's so good yeah. in it. Oh, we no, the, uh, R- Richard Burton's performance is really what, what uh, sells this movie. Yeah. For we me. make fun um, of him for being drunk, but he's varying degrees of drunk throughout the movie. And sometimes he's sober, and you can tell he's sober, and sometimes he's drunk, and you can tell he's drunk. I mean, this this is Burton at the height of his powers in, in a run of amazing performances. Right. But this might be... Neither number one or number two in for, that. Run. For me, I, I prefer him in Beckett, but that's yes, just a, a personal. Uh, don't see the robe. The robe is nope, terrible. Nope. nope. Oh just jump God. all the way ahead to Virginia Woolf, and you're fine. And, and William Shatner stole all of his shtick from Burton. Burton does it well, right? With the pauses and yes, and speeding the, up to talk to sudden, emphasize points. No, you, you don't notice it as much with Burton because, <laughs> yeah, because it's he's actually a Burton good actor. Exactly, it's, <laughs> it's, it's hacky, and and I just want to say that uh, I wonder what the king is thinking tonight. I wonder <laughs> what the king is <laughs> drinking tonight. I and so forth. Yeah, <laughs> etc. Kirk a lot. That's a whole different musical. Yeah. So Phil, you have chosen two movies with remarkable voices in them. I, yes. you know, I, mm. Even though um, Ors- Orson Welles doesn't use his voice nearly as much, you know, he doesn't do that big rumbling thing or, any, or anything like that so much in the movie, uh, and actually acts, as Jason pointed out, acts with his mouth without talking a little bit more in this movie. Mouth, eyes, body language, yeah. Which is uncommon for uh, Orson Welles uh, if you've you've seen his other uh, projects, both stuff he directs and stuff he just appears in. 
I liked these movies. Yeah. Yep. Good. I'm glad. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm always glad when I select movies and that you don't you, that, that I don't immediately hear. Well, this was garbage. <laughs> Thank you for taking away two hours of my life, jerk. I mean, I I love both of these movies, but as as and I've seen them many times, as we have established several times on this, uh, you have uh, ex- excellent taste because you like all the things I like. Thank you. I, I think it's. I think the important thing is that I pick good movies and that we yes. all decide that. So, <laughs> if, if we've achieved nothing else in this in this podcast, it's that yay, <laughs> Phil likes good movies. And when in Berlin, go to the former Checkpoint Charlie, where there is now a convenience store called Snack Point Charlie. <laughs> is there really? No. Yeah. Yes. No. I, but we were just but you have I, to climb over a wall to get into it, which is kind of odd. And if you go to Vienna, you can annoy anyone you're with by saying, I never knew the old Vienna, the Vienna before the war, with its <laughs> charm and Strauss waltzes. Constantinople was more my style. I've done that in so many cities. <laughs> I never knew Reno before the war. <laughs> I think we've reached the end of this episode of, of Old Movie Club. But yes. yes, I agree with everybody. This was uh, th- These were enjoyable. And people should, uh, if you haven't seen them, you should check them out. If you haven't seen them in a while. I love old movies. So I would like to thank my guests for, for being here. Of course, Philip Michaels, thank you for selecting these movies and being the... Uh, I'm, I'm not a performing seal, Jason. <laughs> mm, yeah, fair point. Fair point. <laughs> Dr. Drang, thank you for being here. Thank you. Monty Ashley, thanks for being here. You know what I always say, Jason? Drink, but never be too drunk to think. Mm, <laughs> good advice. David J. Lore, thank you. Do we have time for the zither solo? I just... No. No? (laughs) Sorry. Okay. Okay. So long, Holly. And uh, Frank Wu, thank you so much for being here. Although I hate to break it to you, this is the end of the movie. And so you're going to get shot and that'll be the last scene. (laughs) Oh, no. I can see the the end. The giant letters coming at me right now. No! Uh, Frank was the patsy all along. (laughs) No. I'm actually the double spot. Oh! Oh! He still dies at the end, though. That's what happens you in know, these if movies. You, if you walk into a podcast and you don't spot the patsy, it's probably you. Probably. <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this special black and white episode of The Incomparable. Did I not mention that this whole episode was in black and white? It was. Whoa, did I just blow your mind? What a twist. I know. Ted Turner will colorize it in about five months. <laughs> probably. And we'll uh, see you next week. Goodbye, everybody.